Welcome to the 332nd episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. Stay tuned for my interview with Matthew Wolf, author of the Ronin Saga. Stay tuned for the interview. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. Listen to audiobooks during your commute, while doing chores, walking the dog, or just relaxing at home. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro.fm app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations and curated lists from people who know audiobooks best, your local bookseller. Reading and writing podcast special offer, get two audiobooks for the price of one with your first month of membership with code RWPODCAST. That's code RWPODCAST for two audiobooks for the price of one for your first month of membership at Libro.fm. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Matthew Wolf, author of the Ronin Saga. Matthew, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jeff. I'm glad to be here. Great. Well, if someone listening hasn't heard about the Ronin Saga yet, how would you describe the novels? Um, I always like finding new and inventive ways to, to describe it, but the Ronin saga is essentially, it's a nine book planned epic high fantasy series. Uh, it has dragons, magic, elves, all the good fantasy fair stuff. The heart of the story to get kind of people wrapped around the setting is the Lord of the Rings kind of world and setting with its, um, uh, its own magic system and flora and fauna and languages, um, meets Knights of the Round Table. And a lot of times people are like, okay, that's a lot of stuff to wrap my head around. But basically the, the plot line is, uh, revolves around the main character, Gray, who's 18, uh, and his two friends. They had this kind of Harry Potter trio. And um, they, their whole life they've heard about this cursed legend called the Ronin. And in their, some people might know listening, um, the idea of the Ronin was this kind of wandering or masterless samurai. But in their world, in the world of Farhaven, this magical world, Ronin is to be this curse. Um, mothers tell their children to go to bed in time. Uh, otherwise, you know, the Ronin will get them because they were these great heroes uh, of the world that fell and kind of became these dark legends, kind of the boogeyman of the world, so to speak. Um, and they wielded the nine elements, the elements of wind, the Ronin of wind, the Ronin of water, of fire, of stone, these kind of great elemental heroes. Now, Grey hears about them and they're just a storied myth. They're just, you know, this kind of, you know, old men spit their name and just as curse. But as this shadow falls back upon the lands uh, and cities are being destroyed, um, this great legend has returned. Gray, um, lo and behold, he finds out, uh, he runs into them face to face and sees the, the nine legends um, before him, running of wind, wind curling about and the running of fire, fire wreathing from his frame. And he finds out that um, without going to spoilers and all that, he finds out that he has an intimate connection with the Ronin. Um, so now he has to find out uh, that he is the next kind of generation. Um, so he has to go find the others and prove to this world that every city, every town is going to shut their doors against them. And he has to prove that he's going to be different and something, um, something that's going to change and help the world rather than destroy it. And so do you remember the original idea that led you to write the Ronin saga novels? Oh, that's a good question. The original idea was, it was kind of a combination of things, kind of like sifting for gold. I, I read all these high fantasy books and I loved them. I read, you know, Wheel of Time and 
you know, more recently Brandon Sanderson, things like that. But um, it was the, I love the Knights of the round table and I played video games with, you know, <laughs> that, that had this kind of undertone, but I've, and I've seen the elements and I thought like, what if I could combine the two? And then I, I thought about myself and I was like, you know, we got the earth, wind, fire, all those classic ones. But what if we could do uh, the elements of uh, flesh and even the element of metal? So I think uh, kind of those two were really unique and, and interesting. So I kind of combined those two together and kind of came up with a story. <laughs> so what was the path to publication like for you for publishing your first book? Had you always wanted to be a writer? Um, I didn't, uh, I had an entirely different path actually. Originally I was, um, <laughs> I went through kind of a weird series of events, but the first thing that kind of started was I was going to school in Oregon, uh, before I ended up transferring to, to Santa Barbara. And I was, uh, <laughs> I went down a weird road. First I wanted to, to shoe all standard colleges and everything in general. Uh, I had a pretty good you know, GPA and took my SATs and I just, was overwhelmed by everything. Um, so I found myself falling in love with fantasy as this kind of escape. And in these fantasy novels, I haven't really told too many people this, there was these um, characters like these herbalists. So I wanted to become a master herbalist. Uh, that was my plan. And my dad's like, you know, I'll only kind of agree to that if you go to a four-year accredited college that I, I concur with at least one year of a different thing before you transfer to this herbalist thing. Um, and I was 18 at the time and I went to, uh, to Oregon state university. And in my first, let's say week or so, I found, um, these astronomy and physics classes. And I decided I was going to be an astrophysicist. So I committed about two years to that, got pretty deep in, you know, got my calculus down. I was always a little behind the curve on that. Um, but I loved it. And then, uh, I, I just, all I was doing on the side, I was finding these little moments to write and I found the little moments consuming everything. And I just fell in love with, with the writing aspect and, uh, all, it's all I wanted to do. And then when it came time to publication, I wrote, so I started when I was 18 and I wrote for about kind of like Aragon inheritance. So I was, you know, big, big idea, but it was a long way away and, um, wrote for about eight years. And then when I turned about 24, 25, um, I went to conventions and um, I went to writers conferences and all these things and pitched to agents and got some interested ones. And that's where I met um, my, uh, one of my agents at the time and then an editor. Um, and then through, I won't go into all of it, but kind of through a roundabout way, all of it kind of um, fell away and I decided I wanted to release it on my own. And so I published in 2015, I think. And uh, to became top five bestseller and just kind of fell in love and uh, with, the, with the process and made amazing fans and kind of been continuing from there. And so what has the self-publication process been like for you? Um, ups and downs and hurdles and triumphs and uh, it's like anything, I guess. Uh, in the beginning, I, I just, you know, I was just a kid writing and falling in love. And I wrote the book a million times to make it the best process because I knew that in the process of any book specifically with self-publishing the first novel is often, you know, it's rare to get these kind of magnum opuses. So that's why I took a year. So I wrote it again and again, but when I finally decided to um, release it, 
I did a lot of research, you know, I, I really, you know, I knew I was kind of young. And so I just did, you know, a blog, I found all these different blogs from everything from like, you know, what platform to publish on, what's the best uh, marketing strategies and blah, blah, blah. And a lot of it was just kind of hit or miss, but, um, I found one and it got to the top five on Amazon. Uh, but it wasn't until I started, um, my real kind of claim to fame was going to these conventions. I would go to San Diego Comic-Con, which a lot of people know I'm in San Diego and 140,000 people and it's insane. Um, and Chicago and New York and all these different comic cons. And I found that what I really love doing is I love engaging with people. And, um, I think I, we, I mentioned to you one time when we were talking, um, my first convention was this little tiny, uh, comic con in Ventura. And I think there was probably like 500 people there. It was the first physical copy I ever sold. This time I probably had, you know, five or 10,000 sales in eBooks, but totally different beast than telling your book to, to a potential uh, reader. And it's grandma like walked up and she was this sweet older lady. And she just was like, what's this book about? And I remember just fumbling over my words and, you know, I'd be like, it's got dragons and it's, it's, you know, it's elements. And, um, she was so sweet and she just kind of, you know, silenced me and said, uh, I, I know my grandson will love it. I'm in. <laughs> so, so I'm curious, what made you decide to um, go to these conventions and try to sell, um, I guess, either hardbacks or paperbacks? Um, what Do you remember what kind of prompted you the first time? Yeah. Um, the first thing that kind of started it was really a love of was kind of connecting with people. I found that I really enjoyed, um, I enjoyed the aspect of, I kind of liked being away from the computer and having this moment where I could really, um, connect and, and talk about the story from a less, uh, theoretical side. Um, sorry, I have a cat in the background. Should I, <laughs> I can, <laughs> do you want me to, yeah. Do you, do you want to take a moment? And... Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Let me... That's okay. Thanks for that. Not a problem. Um, see, so yeah, your question was so I so I went to the first convention. I think it was just kind of random how it started. Um, I, a friend was like, Hey, there's a table here and it's, you know, a friend of a friend, you know, can set you up. And I went and I remember that for so long, I, you know, contacting when I was first selling the book in the first five, six months, I get these emails people like, Oh, I love these characters, but it just didn't feel as like, I don't know. There's something about the engaging and talking with people. And a lot of the times I was talking you know, most of the time, 99% of the time I was talking with, especially in the beginning, people who had no idea who I was and what the book was about. So it was kind of a cool way for me to really harness what the book was about and what I did love about it. And then oftentimes we'd end up just making these friends, um, people who loved fantasy and great stories. And so part of, I think I was talking to, um, a lot of people know who's really amazing author, Michael J. Sullivan and his wife, um, and they were talking about 
kind of my claim to fame is that I have so many hardcovers and paperbacks sold. And I think the reason why is just because I've gone to these conventions and, you know, I go to, and I, Hey, do you like fantasy? And they walk up and they're like, yeah, I like fantasy. I'm like, well, okay. Stories like Lord of the Rings meets Knights of the Round Table. And they're like, okay, what's that really about? And then I dive into it. And so um, it's just been this really cool way to make friends and fans for life. And then, you know, when you pass on a book, when I pass on a book, it's always done because I had a connection. So I think, um, I think people having that connection at these conventions, I think is really, really allowed uh, the, the saga to grow. So earlier you were talking about writing and revising your first novel multiple times. What do you think was the biggest thing that you had to learn about writing fiction as you were working on that novel and getting it ready for publication? Hmm. That's a really good question. The biggest thing I had to learn. There's so many things I learned. I think the biggest thing I learned is that characters drive the story. I mean, everyone says plot drives the story or this, and you know, you can do revise and whatnot, but I think. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Going forward, I remember at the very end of the book one when my first edition was done and an agent... Uh, asked me, hey, I, I I like your book, but I want you to do a little write-up on your characters for me, um, which I don't know if that's, I don't think that's super standard, but I was like, okay, cool. So I remember sitting there, and this is, you know, only about three or four years into writing the book, um, and I had a finished copy, but it was, it was a long ways from where it was now, and I was trying to write down my character, and I felt like it was hard because he didn't feel like he was as... You know, there's so many elements to him that I, I realized he was fairly flat, to be honest. Um, so I think what I went back and, and, and kind of learned in the process of that um, was that the motivations of my character. So now I'll, I'll have a big butcher block piece of paper and I'll put it up on the wall. And I'd be like, what does this character want to do? And how does this character's motivation interact with this other character? And I know it sounds pretty standard, but just knowing where they want to go and keeping that in mind keeping that as my forefront, no matter what every sentence really drives everything, every plot, every action, every fantasy element, every world building. If I know what my character wants to do, um, then, then that's, then that makes the story rich. So I think going back, biggest aspect of fiction is learning, just really thinking hard about your characters and being true to what they want to do. So what are your earliest memories of reading and books? Mm. Um, <laughs> I think we also, I think I lightly touched on this one time with you, but um, we, when I was young, uh, I read the Hobbit. Love the Hobbit. Cause that's, you know, classic. I was probably, you know, 11 or 12. And, um, but then my mom, was like you, she's a reader and she's, you got to keep reading. It changes your life. Um, 
And now going to these conventions and seeing, you know, talking to these kids, um, I just see such a difference as I see how true she is, but I'll, I'll get back to that point later. But um, so she's like, I, I'll do anything to make you read. I'll bribe you five or $10 a book. Uh, and I feel, you know, everyone's like, I was always a reader, but I was not. <laughs> um, <laughs> this five or $10 was, was quite uh, necessary. But even then the five or $10 didn't work. And I would, you know, I just wasn't really a reader until I turned, uh, I was about 16 years old. And a good friend, and he took me to a Barnes Noble, and Gen Mock was like, "All right, uh, like he pointed at a bookshelf. You're going to read this one, which is like you know, it was a Wheel of Time book. I mean, if, you, if anyone's just like 14 books, you're going to read Sword of Truth. You're going to read this, and it was like 80 books. He, he was just you know had me uh, list out, and I was like, I'm going to be 80 by the time I'm done with these. But I sat down, and I remember reading one of the first the wizard's first rule. And I just was about a few pages in and I was like, I don't know, maybe I should go play a video game but by like page eight or nine or 10. Everything fell away. And I just fell in love with the world. And all I wanted to do was, was read. And so now I hear him. Great. So what's the next book for you? When will it be published? Uh, book four is uh, we're in the process of it right now. The, um, we being me, mostly, you know, uh, <laughs> it's the royal we. I have um, I have developmental editors and line editors, and I think the biggest we is uh, is my team. I have uh, alpha and beta readers, and they're so amazing, helpful, and they tell me if Faye is off or, you know, Darius seems a little lacking. But um, I've been working on it for the last, I think, since 2017, so about two and a half, three years. Um. And we're looking to release it. I just finished, uh, I typed the end, the very end of the book. So that was a gratifying, hard to believe moment. Um, but we're looking to have it published in the next two months, I think. Um, and, and I what's think the title? That is, that is the question. <laughs> <laughs> this is the first time because every book is based on, so we have, um, we have book one, The Knife's Edge. Book two, Citadel of Fire. So it's kind of a synonym, you know, um, and then book three, Bastion of Sun. So kind of city plus the, one of the elements. So in each book, they have to go to a different city and find the next element and find the next Ronin and discover. And each city is kind of its own grand magical thing. So, you know, revolves a city of fires, fire lighting up the night sky, city of sun, sun shining off these thousands of mirrors and glass columns. Um, book four takes place in the city of water. However, um, I couldn't, I've been kind of tossing with some ideas of breaking the trend instead of being, you know, um, fortress of water and something like that. Um, there's some really cool surprises in the book. Um, and, uh, so I'm kind of tossing, I have fates of the fallen, some other things like falls that, you know, but, uh, that's for the first time, uh, TBD. Great. Um, what have uh, I know that self publishing with ebooks changes almost constantly? What would you do differently if you were just starting to self publish now in 2020? Um, I wouldn't worry so much about the platforms, I would just publish directly on Kindle Direct Publishing. I think it's a great platform. Um, it does, it's a constantly shifting and evolving atmosphere. Um, my price point has changed a lot. 
it's been, you know, five or six or seven dollars per book and then two or three. I think, you know, I think at the, this point, I really just want to get as many readers as possible. So I probably would have kept it at a lower price point. Um, I wouldn't have done too many things differently. I think, um, and what about what about audiobooks? Because I know that those are seeing a lot more sales in terms of self publishing. Oh, that would be the different thing. I I released the audiobook um, book one um, five months ago, four months ago, and it's I've been really lucky and awesome. It's been doing really well, sitting in the top one hundred of fantasy. Um, and I got lucky. I got my favorite narrator, Tim Draw Reynolds, to narrate it, and he's just. I, I could listen to him read a phone book. It's just, he's so good. Um, but uh, I would probably have done that earlier. We just released book two as of literally today, June 1st. That's super exciting. Um, well, I love book one. I think book two really takes off. But I was really having difficulty releasing the audio book because it's kind of a, a it's kind of one of the situations that it, it probably had to happen this way. But originally I looked at other you know authors who were self-publishing and I looked at how their sales were kind of consistent with mine until they released audiobooks and they got this whole new fan base. Um, and I think that's amazing, you know, because there's a lot of people who are too busy you know, who are on their way to work or whatnot, or, you know, less driving nowadays. But um, yeah, I think, I think if I could go back I would probably have book two and book one released and book three, obviously uh, at least audiobook a little sooner. But the downside is that the only reason I was able to get Tim Dry Reynolds now um, is that, you know, I was younger back then. So now we have a little more um, acclaim. And so I think uh, it's kind of a, a double-edged sword in one way. I wish I got so many of these audiobook readers earlier on, but in the other, I think we got this um, amazing narrator and kind of, Thanks to thanks to all my fans and all that. So what writing advice would you offer for listeners who are writing their own stories and novels? Writing advice. I get this question a lot. I'm usually the one who um, I usually always just go with, obviously, you know, cut out every, any minute you can to write. Because obviously writing itself is better than plotting and storming and all that stuff. Um I think the the best advice I have is is you know talk to your friends and family find one supporter above all else that will listen to you rant and rave about your story because uh, that one person will make the difference uh, for me when I was younger it was my mom and uh, one of my best friends um, and just having that person to lend in ears is just invaluable um, but I think the other thing is is on an aspect of, you know and I, I also think the motivation thing I said earlier is really important if you know your character's motivation and how they work together, kind of do a brainstorm map to understand their, their ties. I think that really helps. But I think the, the last thing I'd say is, you know, it's really important for you to set up a program. Like if you're having trouble putting in enough page, if you have, you know, 800 pages and this doesn't, this doesn't apply to you. So skip to this, to the next part. But if you're having trouble actually putting in the time, which is usually, people's um kind of main concern you know even with established authors i think setting up a regimen so what i do for writing uh i have all sorts of tips and tricks and i'm going to be releasing a frequently asked question about writing on my website soon but um 
the thing that I do that keeps me the most accountable, that allows me to write the most, is I have a little post-it. Um, and every day I'll put like the date, you know, Monday. And then I'll write. And whenever I write, whether it's a minute or an hour or two hours, I'll write it down. And I, uh, I, my goal is for five to six hours a day. And I add up and I write all, you know, an hour here and 20 minutes here. And I add it all up. And if it was five hours, then I, you know, cross off with like a blue highlight or something, something that kind of like marks that, it, you know, I accomplished it. And then I stick it on the wall and it goes up beside my Tuesday and my Wednesday, and my Thursday. And so when I wake up in the morning, I look at that wall and I go, all right, cool. Like, you know, I'm either yesterday I wrote for four and a half or six or whatever, or like I'm on a roll. And so that kind of um, keeps me accountable and keeps me excited. And, you know, I think the hardest part about writing is it's like, I could go do something else right now. <laughs> so making it really feel like, um, you know, the job that it is and the rewarding job that is, uh, I think it's the best, some really good advice. So what novels or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed? Um, I've read, I'm always reading a good novel. I just listened to Asia Empire by Michael J. Sullivan. Um, I listened to, I just read, Oh, I think, uh, we, kind of briefly mention it but uh just listen to fish that ate the whale um and then titan it's really good the uh, kind of an account on rockefeller so uh, get ready it's a kind of a beast of a book <laughs> but uh <laughs> it's really good uh, you have to read it if you're sometimes i'm like okay I'm, i want to go to sleep i'm going to read an autobiography <laughs> but other times there's like really fascinating points of it and, and they stay up um I think the other book that uh, that I've been reading lately that I really enjoy is this um, account on the Mongolian Empire. Um, so that's been a really kind of fun read. Uh, so I've been doing a lot more nonfiction lately. I think it's Genghis Khan uh, and the making of the the modern world. Um, so that's really good. Yeah. So where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you and the Roman saga novels? Uh, I'm easy to find. You know, Google the Roman saga and you'll. You'll find me everywhere. Um, the website's a pretty common way where people will stay connected, Um That's R-O-N-I-N-S-H-E-A. Uh, Facebook, you know, now everything. I'm always a social media behind. I'm also on Instagram as wolf underscore writer. And that's writer as in, you know, W-R-I-T-E-R. I had to pause for a second there. My spelling is, uh, <laughs> you know, spell check on me. Um, and, uh, yeah, and stay connected. The audible versions are out. So if you follow the links on the right, on the Instagram page, um, or any of the others, then you'll find, uh, the links to the audiobook of book one and book two. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Matthew Wolf, author of the Ronin saga. The novels are available now, so go buy uh, copies. Um, as he mentioned earlier, the fourth novel will be out in the, in the next couple of months. And Matthew, thanks for doing this interview. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much, Jeff. Great. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.